Fidelity High, the people you dig, the records they love. Rodney Crowell is a critically acclaimed singer-songwriter who released his debut album, Ain't Living Long Like This, in 1978. His 1988 mainstream country breakthrough, Diamonds and Dirt, garnered five consecutive number one hits, and his songs have been recorded by country legends Johnny Cash, Waylon Jennings, Willie Nelson, and George Strait, to current country chart toppers Tim McGraw and Keith Urban, to blues icon Etta James, to rock and roll legends Van Morrison and Bob Seger. He is a Grammy Award winner, a member of the Nashville Songwriters Hall of Fame, recipient of the 2009 Lifetime Achievement Award for Songwriting from the Americana Music Association, and the author of the 2011 autobiography, China Berry Sidewalks. His brand new album, Close Ties, has received considerable critical acclaim, with the Wall Street Journal raving, Close Ties proves energizing, engaging, and often fascinating, and the Associated Press stating, the set ranks among his best. The Los Angeles Times calls it exceptional, while no depression notes. Whether he'll accept it or not, Crowell has now assumed the mantle of the late Guy Clark and Towns Van Zant. Now, this is Rodney Crowell, and my fidelity high is live at the old quarter, Houston, Texas, by Towns Van Zant. I first heard it at Guy Clark's house uh, on a cassette. Now, that would have been about 1974, I think. And I was just over visiting, hanging out with Guy and Susanna, and uh, the guy said, hey, man, I got a, a live recording of Towns at the Old Quarter. And I, I'm, I seem to remember that I had played at the Old Quarter with Guy just a li- either just a little while before or just a little while after Towns had recorded this album. So we sat and... Uh, we imbibed a little bit and listened to the music, and um, I remember very clearly, you know, listening to the cassette. I first met Towns Van Zandt through Guy Clark and Susanna Clark, and this would have been in 1972, and it was when Guy and Susanna were still living, I forget the name of the street, but it was in East Nashville. There's that famous photograph of Towns playing a fiddle and Guy playing a guitar and Susanna looking... Um, you know, bemused in that famous photograph, but that's when I first met Guy and Susanna. They lived in that house, and it's where I first met Towns. Um, you know, t- my friendship with Towns, in as much as it was a friendship, was slow to develop. Uh, Towns was a traveling folk singer, you know, and, and charismatic as, as anyone could possibly be. And uh, a little bit standoffish with me because I'd... I'd he was real close with Guy and Susanna, and they had taken me in, and I think, you know, maybe Towns saw me at first as a kind of a interloper. Um, but eventually, you know, he opened up and warmed to me, and especially when I started write, writing a few songs that had uh, a little bit of merit. And that's really the reason I first heard live at the Old Quarter in 1974 at Guy and Susanna's Lake House um, before it came out, you know. And uh, thinking that it came out in 1977, so this would have been 1974 when I first heard it. But by then, before I even heard the record, I'd seen Towns perform live plenty of times, and so that 
that rascal charisma that that Towns brought was really evident. And it seemed like the perfect way to hear him live at, at the old quarter because, you know, that would be getting as close to Lightning Hopkins as you could get in terms of having that kind of uh, right there on the, the raw edge of performance art that Towns was so, so very good at. The first time I heard Poncho and Lefty actually was at Guy and Susanna's house. Towns had written it, as far as I remember, somewhere on the road, and he was coming through, and I was hanging around. And You know, whenever Towns came into town, it was a big... Uh, it, it was it was not usually announced, but all of the songwriters, you know, all the street level, looking for street cred songwriters around Nashville, then would somehow it would go up, uh, you know, on the uh, grapevine that Towns was in town, and oftentimes he was in town at uh, Amy Martin's house and kicking heroin because he'd been out on the road and having a run, and you know, he part time heroin addict and. So everybody would gather around and wait downstairs while, you know, for for Towns to kind of go through his withdrawals. And then eventually he would show up and play a song or two. And anybody who had the nerve would, would trot out with whatever song they had going at, the, at that particular time. But that was, that was one of the times that, you know, Towns pulled it out and said, you know, I got this new, t- new tune. Tell me what you think of it. Not to me, he was saying it to Guy, but I happened to be there and hearing it, and I was, I was stunned, stunned by it. It's, you know, one of the things, and I think the reason people wanted, were drawn to hang around wherever Towns might be, he had that, that same kind of charisma and electricity that Bob Dylan had. It's like if you stood within, if you somehow was in, was within, 75 paces of where Towns was at, you may, you know, some of that may brush off on you, some of that heavenly, otherworldly, poetic composition that, that he, he was plugged into that ethereal place where he would pull those fully formed songs down into, the, into this world we live in, and it's, we go, oh man, how do you do that? And uh, that's how I first heard you know, if I needed you to live as a fly. Um, first heard uh, Tecumseh Valley on uh, on, a, on a record before I ever heard him play it live. But, you know, Towns' live performances were, you know, if when, if he wasn't too far into the drink, it was, it was some of the most incredible performances that you could possibly imagine. It's just totally uh, informed with this energy, uh, you know, beyond the here and now. It's like this energy coming from somewhere else. And he was a really great guitar player and really had a specific flat-picking style. When he played flat-pick style, it was... It was something to behold, the really downstroke stuff. And, and then he used thumb picks and finger picks and, you know, with finger style, you know, folk style guitar. But, I mean, Townsend's songwriting is sort of his the thing we all remember that and his charismata and his uh, persona, but he was really a great guitar player. 
Well, some might say the town's records were, from a production standpoint, were hit and miss. You know, I really thought that Tucumza Valley and with Close Your Eyes, I'll Be Here in the Morning, you know, were produced in the in the vein of, you know, classic folk singer records. And very well done, I think, you know. His particular recording, his Nashville recording of Close Your Eyes, I'll Be Here in the Morning, really great performance production, as was Tucumza Valley. But then there were times when when uh, you could tell the Towns just wasn't comfortable with what was going on around him, was trying to make himself fit. But Towns was a live folk singer and a live performer. So, he, you know, as I said, you know, he, when he would come into town, come in off the road, a lot of us in the early 70s, particularly in 1972, a lot of us were trying to figure our way into how to be in this business and how to write songs and Towns was actually out there on the road living the life of the folk singer, you know, playing, you know, out 10 days and, you know, stopping by Nashville on his way back to wherever he was living at the time, sometimes in Texas, you know, sometimes just living on the road, my friend. And uh, so he had a, he had honed, you know, that solo folk singer performance down to, at that particular time, a pretty jaw-dropping degree when you would see it. It was, as I mentioned earlier, it was it was an electric thing to see the way he could conjure the atmosphere around these songs that he had written and bring them across to an audience. Sometimes an audience, I'd see him, you know, an audience of 10 people, you know, and then sometimes an audience of 300 people. Most of the times, Towns, Towns had this thing like, like you know, he was such an admirer of, of Lightning Hopkins and, and those blues cats. I think Towns liked it when, when you know, the audience was half empty and, you know, people were coughing and, you know, you know smoke, lighting cigarettes and stuff. It's like, it seemed to be that was when he was at his best, when he was the underdog uh, really delivering something that, you know, sort of goes unappreciated at at that particular moment, which might have been, you know, the way some of his records went under underappreciated. In Houston, uh, Sand Mountain was the uh, kind of premier folk club, you know, in the, the late 60s, uh, coming into the early 70s. Uh, I don't remember exactly when... Uh, when it came to be Sand Mountain, but the old quarter was was there before, and it was it was the my memory of the old quarter. I only played there once, and that was with with Guy Clark. I was uh, playing in his band. Well, we were a trio. Um, we only played there once, and I you know I remember the look and the feel and the location. You know, right on the the northern edge of downtown Houston. But my understanding of it was that, you know, folk music had gone back to the late 50s with blues and, and uh, that the old quarter had been around for a long time. Um, but it just had that uh, atmosphere, you know, that things have gone on here that aren't every day. And it's, it, you know, the street cred 
around the old quarter seem to fit the kind of romantic notion of uh, folk singing and, and you know, tradition, you know, uh, East Texas blues and, and uh, you know, the kind of blues that came out of Mississippi Delta, too. So it, it, it had that kind of street credibility. And it was just another club, really. But probably Towns and Guy and Jerry Jeff and uh, maybe Steve Fromholtz Eric Taylor were the were the kind of folk singers that gave it its its aura. Oh, and well, that you could also include in that Red Crayola and the Familiar Uglies with Mayo Thompson. Apparently, they played there. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, you know the moving sidewalks played there. The old quarter maybe held 90 people, or you know, sometimes you could. St- stuff a few more in there if my memory serves it's, it's, it's been a while since I was in there and as I say I was only in there one time uh, but the intimacy of it I think would be created by the performer I mean it's like you know all of the great folk clubs and blues clubs that have survived for a long time and, and have that charisma uh or you know that poetic aura that are around it that makes it become a landmark would come from the people who perform and and the particular performance they've given and the people who were there the ticket buyers or the audience who were there for the night as they would go out and say well I was at the old quarter the other night and I saw Richard Dobson you know it would that seems to be what m- makes a club a landmark. Or, you know, Towns, Van Zant was in there, you know, and it was, he was really on, you know, as one of those nights at, at the Old Quarter, you know, Towns was really on one night, and then, you know, another night he could have been in there and he could have been really <laughs> drunk to the nines and, you know, and not in, in good form, which was as legendary as the great performances that he gave. Unfortunately for Towns, uh, you know, that how far he was willing to go chasing, you know, poetry um, was to his own detriment, you know, and it's, and also in some ways, you know, I think the fans expected it from him. It's almost like George Jones. It's like, well, will he show up or not? Which towns are we going to get tonight? But Towns was a sensitive man, and he was extremely intelligent. And uh, I didn't really know it at the time, but uh, I learned later, you know, dealt with some bipolar issues. And, and then as I could came to understand bipolar through uh, personal relationships that I had. I, I could look back and say, ah, oh, that explains, you know, certain, certain ways that towns came across. Very sensitive man and very intelligent. Uh, Guy Clark was very uh, open and generous and revealing, self-revealing about his his process of, of 
writing songs and, and the actual craft and process of it. And he would share it openly with anybody who wanted to talk about it, especially if you wanted to stay up late and drink whiskey with him. You know, that conversation would, would always be enlightening and uh, would eventually reveal something very important about the process of writing songs. Whereas Towns never opened up about that. I won't say that he, well, I will say, let's say Towns was more competitive on that level. And he knew, and I think Towns knew full, full well that he was writing, you know, really fully realized songs whereas some of the of the culture you know the wannabe culture of songwriters weren't writing at that level and uh you know some of Towns's message you know his body language was you know hey man I figured this out on my own you figure it out on your own if you can good for you if you can't you'll fall by the way and so he didn't sugarcoat it. But if you were paying attention, you hung around, you listened closely, and you tried to, tried to intuit how the process of accessing from wherever and whatever that uh, source of inspiration and uh, poetry comes from, you may start to get a little bit of a, an inkling of how to do it yourself. I certainly did. I certainly did. It was, you know, my good fortune to hang around, you know, with Guy, and which put me into contact with Towns Van Zant and Jerry Jeff Walker and Mickey Newberry, who were all poets, you know, real poets. And for just I just paid attention. You know, I can look at the song list here. You know, two girls. I got two girls, one's in heaven, one's below. He's got that great line, all oh, Beaumont's full of penguins, and I'm playing it by ear. Two lonesome dudes on an ugly horse passed by not long ago. I mean, okay. <laughs> How do you get to that? I mean, that's, you know, that's out there. I remember the first time I heard Town sing White Freightliner Blues. That's what I'm talking about, his flat-picking style. It's, it's... Uh, it re wasn't really, it was based on a kind of a bluegrass form of playing, but somewhere in, it was, somewhere in the middle of it, it was the blues as well. And White Freightliner Blues, The Live is to Fly, Rex's Blues, Ride the Blue Wind High and Free, She'll Lead You Down Through Misery. Beautiful song. And a lot of these songs, like Loretta and... Uh, Certainly, Rex's Blues were on a, one of my favorite records of Towns. Was never wasn't released until many, many, many years later, and it came probably in between this live at the Old Quarter and uh, the late great Towns Van Zant. And it was a, I don't know where he recorded or how, but Two Girls was on it, uh, Loretta was on it. Rex's Blues. Sunshine comes, I don't know why. Living love and the day does fly. Soon the moon and baby and I will be lying side by side. That's Rex's Blues, I think. 
Towns directly influenced my songwriting because I badly wanted his approval, which he did not give uh, with uh, any regularity. And uh, I got Guy Clark's approval well ahead of getting Towns' approval. And I didn't really get Towns' approval at all until I wrote a song called Till I Gain Control Again. And in a late night blitzkrieg of song and fun and alcohol and I played it and Towns gave me a look, you know, like, okay, you know, all right, I'm going to give you that one. And I think, I think it was a perfect thing, you know, it was like, uh, for me to long to write something that Towns would acknowledge as a good piece of songwriting was a perfect bar for me because I knew how great his his stuff was. It was obvious. Same with Mickey Newberry. They're, uh, they're, they were elevated in, in, in a way in that they could be physically in the room, but their, their, uh, their legacy that was coming to be and, and their charisma put them in a, a pretty elevated place. And which I think if you're lucky to be around that kind of scene when you're in, in the formative years as an artist, which I was in my early 20s at the time, it gives you a, a sense of something, something unattainable that you could perhaps attain. And I think that was the, the most positive influence that Towns Van Zandt or Mickey Newberry had on my writing is that I eventually was able to attain the very thing that at that particular moment I thought was unattainable. And, and seeing them do it and, and, under, and uh, appreciating and admiring the craft and the swagger. You know, I said, I want some of that. How, you know, and it's like, if you want something like that, if you weren't blessed with it, then you got to work for it. And in my case, I had to work for it, and I'm glad. That was a really big gift. Towns' sense of humor, it, you know, first you, you have to realize that kind of intelligence combined with, uh, you know, the uh, bipolar uh, disorder, if indeed it is a disorder. Maybe it was his gift, that bipolar mental energy was his gift, but his he was very funny and it was very intelligent witty funny and then sometimes you know he would he would say things and you know it'd be three minutes later when everybody around would would finally snap to what was said you know and realize oh that's really funny I didn't get that at the, at the beginning but you know Towns had a sense of play that was uh Again, like his songwriting, it was it was elevated. It, it was at another level. It was very intelligent and uh, very f honed and very fine-tuned. And his on-stage performance, when I mean, he was serious when he was delivering those songs. But he was also, you know, a, a master clown. You know, had the body language of a clown. Knew how 
to uh, make you laugh with with small movement of his body and attitude and uh, yeah it was very funny he told really great jokes um, really funny jokes uh, and that's how you know that's when you knew Towns was warming to you is when he would tell jokes tell you jokes it was kind of like wow you know okay it's like the door doorway just got open to the inside of something really funny I, I I remember the last joke that Towns told me. It's I think it's too too risque to tell on the on the radio like this. But trust me, it was very funny. You know, being a performer and a recording artist myself, I, I've 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 had the experience of, of people coming up to me and say, "Man, you are so much better live than on your records," and <laughs> they mean it as a compliment. <laughs> but which gives you pause to say, oh, man, you know, it's like, I don't know how to take that. I'm really working hard at trying to make these records, you know, be real documents. But I will say from my experience of knowing Towns, personally, being around him and, uh, uh, and seeing him perform live and also listening closely to his records and, and that the live at the old quarter is to me a de is a definitive document of where Towns was in his peak, I think. And, you know, in the, in the early 70s, 71, 72, 73, 74, 75 in there, I mean, Towns was really at the peak of, of his magician self, archetype, the magician archetype. He, he had it. And you know, as you mentioned, the humor and, and the, the the poetry, the really exquisite way he accompanied himself on the guitar—it's all there. Everything that I remember from those first times I would see him perform live at Bishop's Pub, you know, when he would come in and everybody else was playing for the hat play five or six songs in the Bishop's Pub when Towns would come in, the whole place would shut down and he would perform 15 songs. And it was spellbinding. And Live at the Old Quarter is, is for my money, a document of that particular time in, in one of our great singer-songwriter performances uh, career. Even if you don't know about Towns, a lot of people, uh, Poncho and Lefty is a song that belongs to the culture. I perform it on my shows because I basically turn the choruses over to the audience and they sing it. And I can tell sometimes they don't even know what they're singing, but they know those words. The song belongs to everybody. But if you want to have your mind blown in the way that's, you know, say, uh, First time you hear Bob Dylan do Subterranean Homesick Blues or It's All Right, Mom, Only Bleeding, then I want to play Mr. Mud and Mr. Gold for you because it's that kind of, of tumbling, electrified poetry of, of where the narrative is stitched together exquisitely and it just tumbles and it blasts you from the start to the end. There was this, I gotta tell you all this joke, there was this, uh... He's drunk walking down the street and he walks up to this cop and he says, man, somebody stole my car. And the cop says, well, where was it? And he says, it was right on the end of this key. 
The cop says, I don't know, ma'am, why don't you go down to the precinct house and uh, report it down there and they'll fill out all the proper forms, you know, and all that stuff. Guy says, okay, and he starts to walk off and the cop says, uh, for you downtown, you better zip up your fly. The guy looks down and says, oh man, they got my girl too. <laughs> I'll play this uh, <laughs> far out. I learned that from uh, Jerry Jeff Walker. That I'll play this song about playing uh, five card stud pokers called Mr. Mud and Mr. Gold. Well, the wicked king of clubs awoke. It was to his queen he turned. His lips were laughing as they spoke. His eyes like bullets burned. The sun's upon a gambling day. His queen smiled low and blissfully. Let's make some wretched fool to pay. Plain it was, she did agree. He sent his deuce down into diamond, his fort of heart, and his trade of spade. Three kings with their legions come, and preparations soon were made. They voted club the day's commander, give him an army face and number. All but the outlaw jack of diamonds and the aces in the sky. Well, he give his sevens first instruction, spirit me a game of stud. Stakes unscarred by limitation between a man named Gold and a man named Mud. Club filled gold with greedy vapors till his long green eyes did glow. Mud was left with the sighs and trembles, watching his hard earned money go. Flushes fell on gold like water, tins it paired and paired again. But the aces only flew through heaven, and the diamond jack called no man friend. The diamond queen saw Mud's ordeal, began to think of her long lost son, fell to her knees with a mother's mercy, prayed to the angels, everyone. The diamond queen, she prayed and prayed, and the diamond angel filled Mud's hole. And the wicked king of clubs himself fell face down in front of gold. Now three kings come to clubs command, but the angels from the sky did ride. Three kings up on the streets of gold, three fireballs on a muddy side. The club queen heard her husband's call, but Lord, that queen of diamonds joy. When the outlaw in the heavenly hall turned out to be her wandering boy. Now mud he checked and gold bet all, and mud he raised and gold did call, and that smile just melted off his face when mud turned over that diamond ace. Now here's what this story's told, you feel like mud, you'll end up gold, feel like lost, you'll end up found, so amigo lay them raises down. If you wanted to be warmed and and romanced and and uh, to feel this uh, deeply uh, compassionate artist at work, I would want to play for you Tecumseh Valley. I'll play one more. This is uh, Tecumseh Valley. I wrote this on a banjo. Where the name she gave was Caroline 
daughter of a miner And her ways were free And it seemed to me As sunshine walked beside her She come from Spencer Across the hill Said her pa had sent her Cause the coal was low And soon the snow Would turn the skies to winter Well she said she'd come To look for work She was not seeking favors For a dime a day And a place to stay She turned those hands to labor But the times were hard, Lord And her jobs were few All through Tecumseh Valley But she asked around Till a job she found Tending bar At Gypsy Sally's But she saved enough To get back home When spring replaced the winter But her dreams were denied Her pa had died Well a word Come down from Spencer So she turned to Horan Out on the streets With all the lust inside her And it was many a man Returned again To lay himself beside her Well they found her down Beneath the stairs led to Gypsy Sally's And in her hand when she died Was an note that cried Fare thee well To Coops Valley Well the name she gave Was Caroline The daughter of a miner And her ways were free And it seemed to me That sunshine walked beside her
Thank you to Rodney Crowell, and thank you for listening to this episode of Fidelity High. And now from Rodney Crowell's Close Ties, Nashville, 1972. One, two, three, and... I had a dog named Banjo and a girl named Muffin I just blew in from Texas I didn't know nothing But I found my way around this town With a friend I'd made named Guy Who loved Susanna And so did I Now there was this run-down shack on Ackland Avenue that I shared with Skinny Dennis And a poet name of Richard Dobson Who had a novel he'd never finished And that's when Johnny Rodriguez, David Only and Steve Earle first came through And every other guitar bum whose name I never knew Harlan Howard, Bob MacDill, Tom T. Hall, go drink your fill and blow us all away. was this tightrope walker who called herself the queen of Poughkeepsie who ran away from the circus with his arouse about redneck gypsy now they were towns vans and fans and prone to combustion they fought like dogs in Spanish and made love in Russian I wish Newberry and Buck White would drop on by the house tonight. Things have changed around here, you bet, but it don't seem much better yet. I first met Willie Nelson with some friends at a party. I was 22 years old and he must have been pushing 40. There was hippies and reefer and God knows what all I was drinking pretty hard I played him this shitty song I wrote then puked out in the yard Old school Nashville, Harlan Howard, Bob MacDill, Tom T. Hawk Go drink your fill and blow us all away Tonty Hall, go drink your fill and blow us all away.